Welcome to the Life Giver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you. Close your eyes for a minute if you wanna see the world. There's too much talk about what is a Christian marriage and not about what is it like for two people who are passionately in love with Jesus Christ What does that mean when they're living together and doing marriage together? That really should be more of the focus. Don't so much go around and looking for the cookie cutter Christian marriage. I am here to be the love of God in her life. That's one of the main reasons that I exist on this earth. She is not here to make me happy. She is not here to fully meet all of my needs because she can't and I don't expect her to do that. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. I have a very special guest with me again uh, this week. This is my lovely husband, my handsome husband, Matt Weathers, Chaplain Matt Weathers. And today we are going to be tackling a very big topic. It is a topic that is probably the biggest question that I get um, via email or messaging. Um, And honestly, when I was doing clinical work and having a private practice, It was probably the top question that I got from um, women, wives, military spouses. And so in order to really dive into this topic, which is really about, it's a marriage topic. It's a lot about um, boundaries in marriage. It's a lot about how do we love each other? How do we serve each other? Um, But really this topic is about um, what do I do when my spouse is not um, either behaving in the way that feels godly or right? Um, how do I know how to save my marriage, um, and how do I work with, um, sin in marriage? And so this is going to be a podcast that we're going to get into scripture and we're going to speak truth into this topic because that's really what I'm being asked is that a lot of you are out there looking for answers in the Christian world, whether it's books or podcasts or articles on this topic about marriage and how to either how to save your marriage, how to address sin in your marriage. And you're finding some of those answers, but we're also finding, uh, you're finding that it's hard to find the answer to this question when it comes to a military marriage. And so um, Matt is with me here today because he is my husband and I feel like um, this is a topic that, that we need to be able to talk about to you guys together. And also because I wanted you to be able to have Matt or hear Matt address this also from a service member perspective as he's also working with service members so that you're not just getting what I'm saying, but you're hearing it from the both of us. So cool. Hey, I'm Matt. Um, First off, I'm going to say big caveat, any views or ideas or concepts or opinions that I express and talk about in the course of this podcast are my own and originate from my own heart and my own mind and my reading of scripture. They are not reflective of the Department of Defense the United States government whatsoever, uh, the United States Army Chaplain Corps, or any other entity of which I am involved. Um, but I don't think that anything I'm going to express here is actually going to be too um, uh, controversial, controversial or, at all. Yeah. And, and In fact, um, <laughs> has more to do with how do we actually serve one another? How do we love one another and how do we do that extremely well? And how do we move in our relationship out of roles and positions into a place of actual a personal relationship and a beautiful dance, which is what I think that any marriage should be. Yes. And so I am going to go through a couple of caveats because it's, you know, whenever you're addressing the the sticky subject of sin and marriage, 
and brokenness in marriage, which every marriage is going to deal with some element of sin because we're human and we're flawed. Um, and there's no escaping, there's no perfect marriage, but we're also addressing some topics um, that I know that there's lots of different, every, every marriage that's out there is different and dealing with a different set of variables. And so I want to make sure that for, even from a clinical perspective that I give you some caveats to begin with. And I'm going to also link to this episode several resources that I have found to be very helpful that should give you a very balanced perspective no matter you know what situation you're dealing with in your marriage. So first off, I want to address that um, a big question that I get a lot is boundaries in marriage, especially if you're dealing with extreme circumstances. And so I wrote an article on this for military.com that I'm going to link to this um, for this purpose because this question comes up a lot. So um, these are three areas um, that I would say that you absolutely must get professional guidance and help from in order to make a good decision and learn how to set healthy boundaries within your marriage. The first instance is if you are in a relationship that has physical abuse, um, that is definitely something that you need to go to a professional and get help on. There are various levels of safety issues to, to address in that um, and emotional dynamics that take sometimes time and careful consideration on how to handle that situation. So if you are in a, in a relationship that has physical violence going on, then you need to go see a professional to learn how to set healthy, safe boundaries in that relationship. Number two is that if you are in a relationship that has um, addictive behaviors or addictive cycles going on in your relationship, and I know that there's lots of different areas that we could explore on that, everything from drug addiction to sexual addiction and everything in between, right? There's all kinds of addiction. Again, I would encourage you to go get professional help to navigate. Um, I would always encourage you to fight for your marriage if you have um, movement forward, meaning the person in the relationship that has some addiction going on is in recovery and ha is getting help themselves and has um, a heart that is moving forward and recovering, but still you need to go get professional help to help you wade through um, the difficult dynamics in your relationship that addiction um, can cause. Number three, the last caveat that I have for you is if you're in a relationship a lot, I get a lot of questions on what's considered emotional abuse, and that is such a very gray area. And so I kind of want to just say that if you're in a relationship that has extreme emotional cruelty, I'm not just talking about like you get into an argument and your voices get raised and, and you say some things that you wouldn't you know, normally say to each other. I'm talking about if you're in a relationship where there is extreme emotional or physical cruelty that is something that you also need to go get professional help on to help you navigate what is safe for you, what is right for you, and how to handle those dynamics. So I want to put, I wanted to make sure I say those first, and we're going to put those aside because I think the topic that we're going to be addressing today is not so much dealing with those extreme circumstances. We're going to more so be talking about what does it look like in your relationship um, to serve one another, and what does service look like, what does submission look like. Um, and that's a big topic that I get a lot. Cool. I will actually put another caveat on there. Um, I agree with all of Corey's three. The one change that I would make is that, um, go get professional help. <laughs> yes. I mean, in all honesty, um, and think about yourself physically. Uh, people try and do things proactively physically to avoid things going wrong later. I mean, you know, you don't sit around and eat Twinkies all day and just hope for, you know, good health and new, good uh, physical well-being. You actually do a lot of proactive things, and you should be doing a lot of proactive things within your relationship. 
I've known couples that go get a, a yearly annual checkup, sit down with a therapist, do four or six sessions. This is where we're at. This is where we're going because seasons change in life and you want to be prepared and move through those well. Um, Corey would definitely agree with me on this. And I've got to make this little correction that if you guys are yelling and calling names against one another, that's a sign that you need professional help. And that's okay. Um, I've seen a lot of people, most people by the time they come talk to me or uh, Corey's even said by the time they talk to her, they've let so many things slip and slide over time with this shame factor of, oh, what if I go talk to somebody? That must mean something's wrong with my relationship. Let me go ahead and, and actually blanket say this. There's something wrong with every relationship out there, and that's called you're a human. And as a human, you're not perfect. And because you're not perfect, you're going to do things wrong. Now, that shouldn't come as news to anyone. If you completely disagree with that, the thing that's wrong with you, you, <laughs> you need to go get help. Is that you're probably a pathological narcissist and you're like, no, I'm great. No, something's wrong with you. And that's okay. If you acknowledge that and say, I can always do better. Really, that's what you want to say is we want our relationships to do better. So, so we're going to dive into this topic. There's lots of um, parts of this topic and it's mm -hmm. hard to know exactly where to start. Um, but, um, we're just going to jump in and it's going to be more of a conversation between Matt and I. Okay. So I think the first way to address um, this topic of, I guess it's turning into the, the topic of sin and marriage, right? That's such a huge topic. <laughs> but, um, the, one of the questions that I get is what do I do if there's betrayal in marriage? And, and this kind of, I, I've covered this in previous episodes, but I, the reason why I'm bringing it up again is because this is really addressing in a Christian marriage. I think that um, this is where things get a little bit sticky for people is that um, when you are, when you love God and you are following God and you want to be um, like Jesus and then sin enters your relationship, like Matt just said, it always does. Any Lots of different kinds of sin can enter a relationship. Um, we do our best to follow scripture and we want so badly to be like Jesus, but I think that um, it gets really kind of difficult to discern what do I do and what does it mean to be like Jesus and love each other like Jesus when um, various levels of sin enter your relationship. And so what confuses a lot of people is, um, do I just keep loving like Jesus, and but my spouse is doing something that's really hurtful and harmful? And so, um, and there's different kinds or levels of that. So I want to get into the first, um, the topic of betrayal. And if you're in a Christian relationship, um, or if you are a Christian and your spouse um, has made some decisions that has caused some betrayal in your relationship. So this was one of the questions that I got, and I've, I've taken out um, any identifying information. And I feel okay with saying um, pieces of these emails because the, I get so many of these that sounded very similar. So um, this question was, um, what I really need is some help with diving into the biblical arguments for staying married or divorcing as it relates to infidelity. One in particular is the argument of, of obedience to God and loving and respecting one another um, regardless. So I'm struggling with multiple occurrences of broken trust. And in addition to other issues, I don't know what to do when it when I'm told that it's my job to obey Christ and choose love and respect, but I'm having a hard time because um, Scripture is also saying that we should serve and love like Christ, and yet there's a lot of broken trust. So yeah, small topic. Um, <laughs> um, hmm. First off, let me say that I think we all pick and choose the parts of the Bible that are easiest to read for us individually. Mm -hmm. Um. 
and we don't read it in totality. Christ is very loving. He's very respectful. He's very forgiving. But there were also times where he basically said, here's the cost, and people decided they didn't want to meet it, and they walked their way, and he went his. Um, and he also said in Mark 10, where he's having a conversation with someone about divorce and the concept of divorce, they asked him about it, and he said, Moses allowed you, God allowed Moses to present you with certificates of divorce, Basically, he said that God is giving Moses the opportunity to allow couples to become divorced because your hearts were hard. Because you, there was something in your heart that just basically closed off kind of like leather over time and just became immovable. Um, and so when we're talking about betrayal and breaking of trust, that's one of the definite things that I see. The two things that I see with someone that's committed betrayal and fidelity within a relationship is their heart has become hard, they've become selfish, and they've begun to act like a teenager. That's not to say all teenagers are bad. Some teenagers are incredibly great. We've got a young one that's starting to move into teenage years. I'm really nervous and excited about it. But characteristic behavior is that they begin to only see themselves and only see and not see the consequences of their action. And then they begin to choose themselves over anybody else. And throughout some other parts of the New Testament, it's pretty clear that when people continually choose that path of self over others, and I'm specifically talking about the person that's committed betrayal and infidelity, when they consistently choose that path, God says, you know what? I, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to the wise counsel of other people. So I've just, I'm going to turn you over to that. If you want to have that party, there you go. You can have that party. But I can guarantee you, you're going to wake up in the morning, metaphorically speaking, or literally speaking, with a huge regretful hangover headache. And you're not going to want to go through that. It's not going to be something that you want to endure. Um, but trying to speak truth to somebody that's acting like a teenager that only wants what they want when they want it and how they want it, and they're thinking more in a very immature, emotive standpoint rather than a rational, logical, respectful, loving, um, selfless service standpoint is really hard. So I can empathize with... You're trying to do the right thing. The, the, the person that's been betrayed, the spouse that's been betrayed, you're trying to do the right thing and it's just not getting through. You feel like you're like speaking at a wall, at a brick wall. One thing uh, that I've noticed is that um, the person that is trying to speak truth to the person that has created the infidelity in the relationship um, often feels like they have to accept the... Uh, irrational reality of the other person uh, or their own reality of this makes sense. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't act like that. That's not the way that people are supposed to behave. I know that to be a fact. I feel that very true experientially. And yet the other person is, is begging for their own ways, begging for their own things and is sometimes saying, no, it must be you. No, you're the one that's going through it. You're the one that must be doing it. And so the spouse that's been betrayed often feels, for lack of a better term, crazy. Like they have to accept the craziness that's going on. You don't. You're not called to accept that level of craziness. Uh, one phrase that I get from my wife is, you're called to keep your side of the street clean and to do those things right. If you have a spouse that is committed infidelity and they are unrepentant, meaning that they don't care that they've done that to you, um, and they're not going to change their behavior, or they think, well, you should, if they've ever said, well, you should just forgive me because 
That's what you should just do because that's what Jesus does. Remind them real quickly, that's what Jesus does. That's not what you have to do immediately. That's the difference between an all-loving, compassionate, all-forgiving God and a human that needs a little bit more time to move through that. Um, Over time, forgiveness may actually happen, but that takes time. It's not going to be immediate. And it's irrational to expect that anybody is going to forgive immediately. Would you agree? Yeah, no, I would absolutely agree. And I think the key thing that Matt is that Matt said is that um, if your spouse does not have a repentant heart, you're going to hear us say that a lot, I think, in this episode, is if your spouse doesn't have, and, and this, should, this is a good reminder that we should be having a repentant heart. Um, and this is not just about your spouse. This is about what does it look like inside of my life to have a repentant heart and modeling that. But Let me explain. If you haven't ever heard the, yeah. the, the phrase of repentance or repentant, and we're not trying to evangelize you, but there really isn't a better term. Yeah. So think about this. Have you ever turned, and everybody has, have you ever turned down the wrong way down a one-way street? Did you go, <laughs> bygones, I'm just going to keep going this way. I'm just going to keep driving this way. Once, uh, Panera's are all laid out the exact same, and usually the men's restroom is there to the left. Well, apparently this one decided it was not going to be. So I, like, absentmindedly, like, turned left, didn't see a urinal, was like, oh, no, this is a woman's Luckily, there were no women in there. I repented and went to the men's restroom. I didn't say, forgive me, Lord, but the repentance is the act of going the wrong way. Let's move. If I'd have gone... Ah, it's still a bathroom and gone in there, I would be wrong. There would be a consequence to that behavior. So when we're asking, we're saying repentance, that's when you sit there and go, and I love this little eraser that Corey got. (laughs) You go, oops, now after the oops, I was wrong. I acted like a teenager. I have sinned against you. I have wronged you. I have done something horrible in our marriage. I have broken trust, broken faith. How can we restore this? I am ready to do everything possible to restore this. Mm -hmm. That's what repentance looks like. Yes. It doesn't demand of the other person, well, you should just forgive me immediately and you should just, well, because of this, that, and the other. And I, I will say this, and I've told people this all the time. If your marriage is horrible, it doesn't, uh, you don't have the right to go have an affair. Get a, Get counseling. If counseling doesn't work and you guys are like, we just can't live together. We're, we are opposites and you want to go that way and I want to go this way. That doesn't, you don't have an affair already. You don't have an emotional or a sexual affair. You, you go your separate ways and you control yourself because you're an adult. So act like it. Yes, absolutely. Sorry, that may be hard. No, no, I think it's true. And I think um, it goes back to um, acting childish. Yeah. So when we're saying that your spouse if your spouse doesn't have a repentant heart, then there is some um, definitely going to get professional help to help you navigate. How do we take that step back? Um, and I think I've also written an article that I'll make sure that I put out there of, of what do you do when you have setbacks and how do you um, know how to separate before we just like abandon ship and sign papers and all this kind of yeah. stuff. How do we take the next step back? And you sometimes physical separateness is really just turning the lights on. It's it's really physically showing what's actually happening emotionally in the relationship already. It's just kind of um, not pretending anymore, like there's a white elephant in the room. So if your spouse is not repentant and doesn't care, 
then you may need professional help to help you figure out what is the next step movement that I need to do in order to um, set some very clear boundaries, maybe take a step back a little mm -hmm. bit so that we can actually have clarity and see what actually is going on in the relationship mm -hmm. and then figure out what's then the next step and then yeah. the next step. And so um, I think you're going to see a common theme throughout this episode of, of similar to that, but we wanted to make sure that we covered that first. Mm -hmm. If your spouse is repentant, like Matt was saying, there's lots of resources for help on how to move through, how to restore a relationship um, and bring back that trust that takes a lot of time. There's a great book called Getting Past the Affair. Mm -hmm. um, or After the Affair is another book. Yeah. Um, there's also... Um, our favorite resource that will always be our favorite resource is Dr. Mike Seitzma out of Atlanta. He has the, um, intimate marriages is their institute. It's building, like intimate, marriages, building yeah. intimate marriages. I'll make sure that I link that as well. He is a Christian sex therapist and he deals mostly with infidelity and has a very great successful rate of keeping couples working through the dynamics. Mm -hmm. And even then working with an expert in this area, you're talking three to four years of work, very difficult work for the two of you to build that trust. It's not something that comes back immediately. And like Matt said, forgiveness takes time. And, um, and that spouse that has been betrayed, it's okay if it takes you time Yeah. and there's certain circumstances, right. That have to be in place in order for you to move <clears throat> towards a place of forgiveness. You have to have some element of trust being restored in order for you to work through all the emotions that you need to go through and to process in order to figure out now, I think I'm ready to forgive. So, so one of the things that's key and uh, hopefully you're, are you going to link to the trust cups that he goes through? Yes. Okay. I will so. link to all of Mike Seitzma's information, including some links that he has of a couple videos that he has that talks about how to build back trust. Yeah. So bottom line up front, one of the simplest things that I, I took away from uh, working with him before I came uh, onto active duty was this idea that the person that's committed the infidelity is very, re is, is responsible for, I have to do whatever I have to do to regain your trust. And there's certain I, rules in place yeah, there are that have to be rules. spoken and talked about. Right? Yeah. And so if, if Corey has rules, I've got to meet those rules because I'm asking her to trust me again when I haven't, my track record basically says you don't have any reason to trust me. So then I have to do things. One example that I saw was a couple, she had to stay on the phone every time she was going to grocery shop. And um, so that the husband knew you weren't out doing something wrong, you were actually grocery shopping. And that may seem ludicrous, but it's the same way you set rules with teenagers. You know, once a teenager has wrecked their car because they've been going driving fast, you don't automatically hand them the keys again, do you? The teenager may kick and scream and moan for a, for a week. They're usually like, I'm so sorry. I, I can't believe I did that. Oh, I'm so repentant. And by the time the next weekend comes around, they're like, oh. There's a, there's a big gathering going on, and I really want the car again. Can I have the car again? And you're like, no, I told you you were grounded for two months. And then they're like, why? You're so unfair. <laughs> you don't trust me. And you're like, yeah, I don't trust you. You yeah. just wrecked the car. So it's really getting two people to act like adults again and to realize that, um, that trust is not something that uh, it's it, a it's, it's, it, it takes a long time to get. And takes a quick time for it to be gone. Yes. And it's doing the right thing for the right reason for a really long time. Yes. And so um, there's so much more that we could get into on the topic of betrayal. 
Um, if you are in this situation and your spouse has, does have a repentant heart and is looking towards restoration, mm. uh, I would encourage you to yeah. look into the resources that Matt and I mentioned already. It will walk you through um, how to navigate that difficult conversation of figuring out what your rules are. Um, and that's very difficult for to enter into even that first phase of those rules. And um, it's something that the betrayer doesn't often want to follow rules because it feels very patronizing, but it's very important as part of the process. And so, so let me say for the betrayer, if you end up listening, um, I love when you said to be restored because I love the, the word restoration. Mm -hmm. Um, to the person that's committed the infraction in the relationship, whatever it is, do not allow shame to rob you of the joy of grace and forgiveness in your life. Mm -hmm. and you will never experience that if you hide in the swamp land of shame. And if you're constantly hiding there, you never get to move out into the light and allow the light to shine on all those things that you've done and to go, can I survive this? Can I survive being exposed? Can I survive my worst being put out there? I'm here to tell you, you can't. And you can do it and you come out on the other side with a beauty and a grace to you where, as far as I believe, within a marriage, the more you do that with one another, with grace and forgiveness for especially the little things, but even the big things, and you move forward on a proper path of restoration, the more you understand the mind and the heart of God and of Christ, and the more that that ministry happens in your life. So for that person that wants to run and hide in shame, I often think that the person committing the infraction doesn't want to move forward because they're so ashamed of what they've done. You did wrong. Shame is saying that you are a person that's that you are the problem when the problem is the problem. Mm -hmm. You've got to change your pattern and your behavior. Understand that you've been lied to. Understand that you believed a very deceitful lie that whatever it was you were pursuing did not fulfill you. And then you are waking up the next morning going, oh, holy God in heaven, help me. Because sincerely, I believed a lie for however long. And I realize fully now, standing in the glorious light of the truth, that I need something bigger than myself to help me out. And, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, Matt and I could go on forever on yeah. this topic because we work with a lot of couples um, separately. Um, that have been through this. And I can tell you that I've seen a lot of couples actually make make it through things like this when both are repentant and both are ready to make those changes. And um, it's very much possible when both people are on board. So we're gonna get into a little bit um, muddier here of a topic. Um, and I think that's gonna get us to the meat of the, the things that we wanna cover today if, mm -hmm. if we haven't covered enough already. Um, there are some things, some behaviors, let's say like addiction or infidelity or things, certain sins or behaviors or, or destructive behaviors that are kind of easier to make that decision on, on setting very clear boundaries and um, knowing that your marriage is in jeopardy, right? So when you're talking about physical abuse or infidelity or some of these bigger <clears throat> topics, you know, it might be easier for some of you out there to say, well, um, he's, there's physical abuse, so I know that this relationship is in jeopardy. I need professional help to decide whether or not um, I need to protect myself, right? Um, but there's these other muddier issues where it's not clear-cut, and maybe tra traditional 
um, your history growing up in the church or whatever traditionally doesn't cover some of these topics, which is, I don't want to call them lesser sins because sin are sins, but they, we sometimes rate sin on what feels more destructive or less destructive. And so here is um, a topic. Here's another email that I got um, addressing the issue of behavior from a spouse that isn't like out there, like an obvious topic that most people would say, yes, hurtful, absolutely, I need to maybe separate or whatever. Um, but more on the emotional side, um, and this is more on the topic of neglect, actually, within the relationship. And that also gets into what is the wife's role? What's the husband's role? What does the scripture say about that? So the question is, um, well, this is what the email says. My question is whether it's possible for a husband who by all external appearances seems to be sinning against me through relational neglect and harshness to instead to be simply incapable of being present in the relationship due to extreme stress at work due to being in survival mode. Um, and this is coming from a military spouse. So this is a service member who is under a lot of stress at work and he could be coming. I get these emails a lot of um, service members coming home with PTSD um, where the spouse might be maybe a caregiving spouse of invis invisible wounds. Um, and so there is some kind of stress going on at work, and it's causing the service member to come home and kind of unplug from the family and un unplug from the relationship. Um, she says, though I'm desperately hurting, and it's been years that this has been going on, he's been, um, he lacks showing affection, lacks um, showing physical intimacy, he's often angry and defensive, a lot of blaming, unable to talk through like his family issues and what's going on in their marriage, lots of spending time on the phone and watching movies. So you can hear there's a lot of unplugging that's going on in the relationship. And he doesn't show any remorse about this or asking for forgiveness from his spiritual absence. And I want to camp out on that that she's feeling like there's a spiritual absence going on. She's really wanting him to be a spiritual leader of the home, and he's unplugging. So this is the, um, the, what I'm hearing from spouses a lot. I do want to give my husband every benefit of the doubt. She wants to give him the space to heal or, or whatever he needs to go through, um, and that she believes that the answer to the question um, is about what does she do as a godly wife and how to handle that. Do, does she confront and place boundaries to protect myself by seeing this as a destructive relationship, or do I continue to offer grace and support to him as best as I can, seeing that this is a time where love must bear all things, much as a wife might need to do for a husband who was severely injured and she has to take care for him and receiving very little in return. Mm. So I get these emails a lot and it breaks my heart yeah. actually because there's so many things going on um, that we can address. But um, maybe we can first talk about, um, this, is, this is a question coming from a spouse, number one, of what does it mean to be a submissive wife and what does it mean for the longing that uh, the longing to have your husband be the spiritual leader of the home. And this, when I was in clinical practice, I got a lot of questions about my husband isn't leading like I want him to lead. He's not being the spiritual leader of the home. What do I do? And um, I'm going to say a couple things while you're looking up some scripture here. Oh, you got it. Um, <laughs> so I want to say that um, oftentimes. Um, we are brought up in the church, in the tradition of the church, to come out and get married and have these cookie-cutter approaches of thinking that this is what it looks like to be a godly wife. And this is what it looks like to be a godly husband. And, and we enter into marriage with so many different kinds of expectations, and the spiritual expectations are there too, and sometimes are not, not addressed very often, even in premarital counseling, not addressed. And so we come in, and then we see that life 
is a lot harder than we expected and we realize that we're not really meeting each other's expectations and we have these cookie cutter approaches that don't work. And we often end up camping on these Bible verses that say wife should be submissive to her husband and what does that mean? And so what I'm hearing in this email is a lot of I'm trying to figure out how to be a submissive wife and I'm wishing that my husband would be a spiritual leader. What do I do when he's being neglectful and absent, not being a spiritual leader and I'm we're getting weary of being the submissive wife that's receiving little in return okay so um yeah totally not a sticky topic um you you the email said a time where love must bear all things and immediately i'm in in corinthians 13 so if you're unfamiliar with corinthians 13 so there was a guy named paul he wrote a lot of letters and he was trying to help the church out and help them understand what it was to do so if you think of it from this perspective, imagine if Paul was a marriage therapist and he's writing letters to people that he's been counseling. We don't know what was going on in the churches at that time. All we know is that Paul is writing letters to encourage the church about what they are or are not doing, what he knows about them, because he goes around and starts churches and helps churches out and really um, does that. But when he's writing to the church in Corinth, we know that they have a problem with love. Uh, simply because in the 13th chapter, he's like, let me explain. All You can do all these things right, but if you don't have love, you've got nothing. And then automatically somebody goes, well, well, how would I know if I have love? Well, great. I'm glad you asked. Simply because love is not a feeling. It's an action. It's a choice. It's a behavior, and it can be measured. It's an, It has indicators. If I smile, that's an indicator that I'm happy. It could be a false indicator because I could be smiling in sarcasm, but usually a smile indicates that I'm happy. So when Paul is outlining these things of what love looks like, it has to go both ways, okay? That's how you know whether or not somebody is being loving towards you or actually is choosing to love you. What hurts me the most is when one person says, well, I love you, and then they treat you like crap. They don't really love you. They're choosing not to be loving towards you. Or... They, they, they really like you and there's just something huge inside them that's preventing that um, from coming across well or the right way. So if you're like, how do I know what love is? You would say, uh, love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't look around for things and go, oh, I want that. I want that. It doesn't boast and go, by the way, do you know what I did? Um, it is not proud. It's not rude. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in good. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That is a high bar. But that's the bar that we're given in a marriage to say, shoot for that. Uh, when we were in high school, when I was in high school, I pole vaulted. And oftentimes we would never put a bar at the height that we wanted to clear. We'd put it about four feet higher. Why? Because we practiced kicking that bar off. And by practicing aiming for the higher bar, when we put the bar down at 11 or 12 feet to go clear it, it was real easy. Why? Because you were always shooting for something higher. So if you set a bar low, then really you're shooting for lower than that bar. So set a bar high. Um, the the Is that cool? Oh, yeah. All right. So I wanted to drop that little footnote. And something I share in every wedding service uh, and that, that nobody seems to have a problem with is, is the mutual submission and service. And you may go, well, mutual submission? Okay. So... Uh, Another letter that, yeah, I see that. Okay. I see you little, put a little bracket on there. I did. Sweet little girl. Um, <laughs> so Paul is writing to another church, a church in Ephesus. And so in Ephesians, he says, um, 
uh, well, he, he talks about what you should be doing. He said, don't be foolish. Don't understand. Don't do all these bad things. And he goes, then, you know, do good things. This is Ephesians 5. Yeah, and he says, um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, that is actually, in many Bibles, blocked off before this heading that says wives and husbands. Well, there were no uh, there were no numbers. There were there were no spaces in the original Greek. There are no paragraphs like oh now we're in a whole no new headings. paragraph. This has nothing to do with what I just talked about. I'm on a whole new topic. No, <laughs> he just flowed. Sometimes he would have a scribe, and Paul would just be sitting there, you know, flowing, kind of riffing, and he would just scribe, would just be going crazy trying to make sure he wrote it out there. But it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because your relationship and your marriage, neither one of you are in charge of it. Christ is. God is. And if you're coming at this from a Christian perspective, that's a fact. Nobody's going to argue that. And then it goes on to say, Wives, submit to your husbands as the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, remember that. Christ is the head of the body head of the church, of which he is the Savior. How did he save the church? Oh, he died for the church. He willingly gave up his life for the church. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Okay, well, that gets quoted an awful lot. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, da, 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 um, to present her holy and blameless. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. If you're not acting lovingly towards your wife, don't be surprised why you really kind of hate yourself. Because you're acting hateful towards her, you're basically hating yourself. So it's a dual misery. But I always ask the question, how did Christ love the church? You know, what does that look like? Give me a good picture of that so I can imitate it. I'm a behaviorist. Um, Corey would say she is probably more emotive. Intent really matters for me. If you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. If you are if you say you're one way, but you don't act that way, I'm sorry. You know, If you say you're physically fit, but you're shoving Twinkies down your face, you're a liar. <laughs> so I look at behavior and I go, what did Christ do for the church that showed his love? Because that's what I'm supposed to imitate. I, I don't need to worry about what she's supposed to be doing. I need to worry about what I'm supposed to be doing. I keep my side of the street clean. And uh, if you're asking that question, I'm glad you asked. We're supposed to imitate Christ's humility. Uh, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now remember, he's saying, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. You are the head of the wife. You're head of the family as Christ is the head of the church. Well, that's not to sit up there and go, well, everybody's got to do what I say they've got to do. Well, there's a huge caveat on that if you're imitating Christ. Because you should be loving your family and your wife as, in the same way, in the same manner that Christ loved. So what was the manner that he loved? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So are you doing that or are you walking around the house acting like you're God? Because at some point in time, God became incarnate and humbled himself. He gave up all of the pomp and circumstance and all of the honor and glory that he was receiving in heaven, and rightly do. 
And he humbled himself, taking on the very nature of a servant, washing feet, healing people, going many sleepless nights, taking care of people's physical, spiritual, and emotional needs. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I think that's a really high standard for husbands. And that's the one that I'm always shooting for. Going back to the pole vaulting analogy, the bar is up there. I mean, I don't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but I understand what Christ has done in my own personal life. And for my family, I have to take on the very nature of a servant and be that to her and, 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 and earn her respect and earn her followership. If there is something where I just have to say, you know what, I've got to take this on and this is just a way that I have to go. Because here's the thing, I'm the one that may get blamed for it or may get credit for it or if it goes right or wrong, um, that's a hard thing. But I have to have a, a heart and a mind that's aligned to the heart and the mind of Christ. Um, so, so many people often are going focused on her submissiveness to me when I go, but wait a minute, am I submitting to God? Am I submitting and humbling myself in general? There's too much talk about what is a Christian marriage and not about what is it like for two people who are passionately in love with Jesus Christ? What does that mean when they're living together and doing marriage together? That really should be more of the focus. Don't so much go around and looking for the cookie cutter Christian marriage, but look to be a, a devout Christ follower serving one another in that marriage so that we're both lifting one another up. And, and I am here to be the love of God in her life. That's why that's one of the main reasons that I exist on this earth is so that she is assured of the love of God through me. She is not here to, to make me happy. She is not here to fully meet all of my needs because she can't. And I don't expect her to do that. But she is here to also be the love of God in my life. And if we take that perspective, it changes and it reshapes a lot of our approach. Next time on the Life Giver Podcast. I know I'm encouraging you to have this selfless act of service, of being intentional, of serving your spouse. Pursue your spouse and um, move towards them instead of moving away from them. And so I get a lot of these questions that are asking, well, what if, how long do I have to do that before mm. my spouse is going to come my direction? For me to love like Christ, does that mean I just keep giving where she says, um, I'm receiving very little in return here. Do I, am I supposed to just accept that I'm in a caregiving relationship? And if I keep doing this, will that win my husband over?